Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read the passage and I'll pray and then I'll give you a little bit of a background and then we'll start working through it together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your father so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you father we thank you for your word this very practical instruction to us today lord i pray that you would help us to to see and to understand how it is that you want us as your people to live this out that you would help us lord to not be as as you described here hypocrites Lord, that we would be true and that we would be genuine. Lord, that we would not seek our, our own praise and our own glory, but that we would live for the praise and the glory of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I just want to remind you of a few things here. Uh, the first is who it is that is speaking these words. If you have a Bible that puts the words of Christ in red, these words should be in red. These are the words of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the creator of everyone and everything. He's the savior who entered into human history to redeem mankind from our sin. How many of you, that's your testimony this morning, that Jesus has saved you from your sin? Amen. He did that by dying on the cross, by taking our burden, our, our, our law-breaking, our burden of sin upon his own shoulders and enduring on the cross the penalty and the payment for sin, which we all deserve. But because he loves us, because of his great love for us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has redeemed us from from, from, from the enemy of our souls. He has redeemed us from Satan. He has redeemed us from darkness. He has redeemed us from death. And he has filled us with his spirit and with his power and with his love and with his joy. And then Jesus, after he had died on the cross, he rose again on the third day, defeating Satan's sin and death and hell. And he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, above every name that is named, King of kings and Lord of lords, where he rules and he reigns over all peoples, times, places, and spaces. And just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been, that's past tense, given unto me. Go therefore... Disciple the nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so as we come to these words today, th this is the words. These are the commandments of Christ. 
This is what Jesus spoke to his disciples. And, and so as we go through this today, we are participating in that discipling of the nations that Jesus has commissioned his people into today. We are called not to just believe some things about God, but to live a certain way in the world. That the things that we believe, by their very nature, dictate and place demands upon the way in which we live. There's this great divorce that has happened in our culture between the things that you say you believe and the way that you live your life. That you can say you believe one thing and you can live something totally separate and different. Listen, the Bible knows nothing of that kind of life. The Christian faith is not that kind of faith. The Christian faith is one in which we live out what we believe. And if we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, if we believe that he did what this book says that he did, died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, then we must do what he commanded us to do. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is not to just believe some things up here. It's to actually live a certain way out there. Amen? If, if only, if only the church in our country, in our nation, those who profess Christ would actually follow Christ. This world would be a totally different place. And let it start with us. Let it start with me. Now that's where it always has to begin. Looking at the man, the woman in the mirror. Let it start with me. And so here in this sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is giving us the words by which to live our lives. And in fact, he concludes the sermon in Matthew 7 by saying, whoever lives this way, whoever takes these words of mine and does them, not just hears them, not just believes them, but does them, obeys them in the power of the Spirit, whoever does that will be a wise man. This is true wisdom. This is, Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. These are the words to live by. And when we live this way, Jesus says, we place our feet, we build our lives on a solid rock. So that when the storms of life come, and we live in tumultuous times, don't we? Don't we live in a, in a whole culture, in a whole society, in a whole world that is under upheaval right now? Where every institution, things that you used to be able to just take for granted, you can't take anything for granted anymore. So what, what do you build your life upon? You can't base it upon the dollar, hello? You, you can't base it upon our public institutions, which have all discredited themselves. It is the word of Christ that we must build our lives upon. And we build our lives upon his word by obeying his word in the power of his spirit. Amen. Amen. So with that little introduction, in this passage, Jesus gives three 
three imperatives, three commands, three things we need to be aware of. I'll give the three of them to you up front and then we'll unpack them together. The first he says is beware, pay attention to how you practice your righteousness. Beware how you practice your righteousness. That's the first one. The second one, he says, is don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like the hypocrites. We'll come back and we'll look at what that means in detail. And then the third thing he says is don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So the first one he says is, the very first one, right here in the very first verse, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So beware of, of how you practice your righteousness. Notice the assumption here that Jesus is making. The assumption that he is making is that you will be practicing your righteousness. He assumes that you are actually going to be attempting to live a righteous life. That is his assumption. Now he's going to deal with how we should do that, but we shouldn't be so quick to skip past the fact that he simply assumes that we will practice righteousness. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to practice righteousness? It means simply to put into practice the word of God. That's what it means. That in your life, where you live, how you live, in your family, at work, in your community, that you are endeavoring to obey the word of God. Jesus put it this way. We'll see it later here in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That, that we put first Seeking God. We put first obeying God. Now this does not mean that we separate our spiritual life, church and prayer and Bible study, from what we, some people would call our secular life, work and family and entertainment and all of that. No. It doesn't mean that we separate them and that we, we, we prioritize prayer and Bible study and, and coming to church over and against our family and our work. That's not what that means. If that's what that means, we would all be monks. We would all be nuns. But that's not what Jesus is saying to do by seeking first the kingdom of God. What that means is that in our work, in our family, in our leisure time, in our entertainment and, and everything else, that in every area of life we are seeking to obey and advance the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that in my family life I bring that under the authority of God's word. How I work and how I treat others in my relationships, I bring that under the authority of God's word. And when I do that, I am seeking first the kingdom of God. The assumption Jesus makes is that we will practice our righteousness, that we will seek to obey Christ and to obey his word in every area of life. Deuteronomy 6.25 says this, it says, And it will be righteousness for us 
if we are careful to do all of this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So when Jesus here is talking about practicing our righteousness, he's saying how we go about seeking to obey and implement God's word and the teaching of Christ in our everyday lives. So yes, we must put God's word into practice. We must, as God's people, in the power of the Holy Spirit, strive to live a righteous life. We must do, as the Apostle Paul taught, put sin to death in your life. Mortify the flesh. Do not give an inch to the devil. Because when the devil, when you give the devil an inch, he takes a light year. That we are constantly on guard against sin and temptation. And that when we do sin, that we run to Christ, we run to the cross, we run to God, our advocate, confessing our sin and asking God for forgiveness. This is what it means to be practicing our righteousness. And yes, we should pursue God and pursue living for God with everything we have. But Jesus says, in doing this, don't do it to be recognized by others. As you seek to live for Christ, as you seek to obey God's word, the why you are doing it matters. Why are you seeking God? Why are you here this morning? Are you here today simply so that everyone will think you're a good godly Christian? If that is the case, you are seeking, you are practicing your righteousness in a way that Jesus says you ought not to do. Beware, be on guard, he says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. We don't live for God and we don't seek to obey God's word so other people will think that we're great. So that other people will look at us and say, wow, how godly, wow, how pious, wow, how holy, wow, how righteous. Because we know that truly, in and of ourselves, our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. That if there's anything righteous in us, it's only come from Christ. If there's any ounce of holiness in us, it's only because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So that to seek to obey Christ so that people would think we are great would be to rob Christ of his glory. Seeking the glory for ourselves. Now, Jesus is not saying that we can never do good things or righteous deeds in front of other people. How absurd would that be? Especially considering in Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't, don't hide your light. Instead, he said, do what? Let your light shine before men so that they may what? That they may see your good deeds. That they may see your righteous deeds and then do what? Give glory 
to your Father who is in heaven. So we are to live our, our righteousness out, our, our good deeds out. We are to, to live for Christ publicly. And we are to make it known that the reason we are living in this way is because there's an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem where Jesus died and rose again. That's why we obey Christ. That's why we live the way that we live. That's why we won't go to this movie. That's why we won't go out with this friends after a, 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 you know, to the strip club on Friday night to work after work party, whatever, whatever. We're not doing this and we're not doing it because we're following Christ. But if I do that only so that people think highly of me, Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the right motivation. The right motivation is to bring glory to God. The, the right motivation is so that God's name and, and the work of Christ would be magnified. As John the Baptist put it, that he might increase and that I might decrease. That his name would be great. That, that we would be able to live our lives in such a way and to live them so humbly and to live them with such love and with such sacrifice and such generosity and such giving and doing so purposefully so that Christ would be magnified in my life. That people would stop and take note and say, wow. Not wow at us, but wow at the God who lives in us. Jesus told us to live our lives in a public way. Let your light shine. But if the only reason we let our light shine is to put the spotlight on us, you know what's going to happen? It's not going to be good. When the spotlight's on you, you know what you, people see? All of your flaws, all of your wrinkles, all, all of your imperfections, all the gray hairs. Every time Heather cuts my hair, she says, wow, there's like, look at all these gray hairs coming in. That's why I get a haircut every six months, because I don't want to hear her talking about all my gray hairs that have come in. That, maybe that's why so many come in. Uh, between. Anyway, that when, when you get under the spotlight, when you get under the microscope, when, when, when it's put on you, it, it doesn't bring glory to you. It, it reveals your faults and failures, of, of which we all have. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I'm the chief of sinners, but Christ saved me so that in me, the chief of sinners, his glory, his grace, his love could be manifest and put on display. Not to elevate Paul, but to elevate Christ who saved Paul. Not to elevate you, but to elevate Christ who saved you. And this is the difference, this is the distinction that Jesus is making here between what he said in Matthew chapter 5 and what he's now saying here in Matthew chapter 6. That we would live our lives in such a way to bring glory to God who is in heaven. And when we do that, you know who we're following? You know whose example we're following? Jesus. Isn't that how Jesus lived his life? Jesus would even go as far to say that I don't even speak a word unless it's a word the Father has spoken. I don't even do an action unless it's an action the Father has told me to do. What a claim to make. 
But he is our example. He is the one that we are following. So that all of our words and all of our actions, we could endeavor through the power of the Holy Spirit to submit them to the will of our Father who is in heaven. Not to bring ourselves glory, but to bring God glory. What Jesus here is prohibiting is is practicing our righteousness and doing so in public for the purpose of self-glory. And whatever we do for the Lord, in, in all of our efforts to submit to God's word, we should pray that prayer with John the Baptist, oh, that he would increase and that I would decrease, that they would see him and not me. To to hope that we will receive glory is is a self-conscious kind of living. But we're not to live self-conscious lives, always worrying about what do they think about me? What are they going to feel? How is this? Blah, blah, blah. About me, about me, about me, about me. We're not to live self-conscious lives. We're to live God-conscious lives. How is what I'm about to say going to reflect on my Savior? How is what I'm about to do going to reflect on Jesus? You see, we're all created in the image of God. We're all made to bear the image of God. We're all made, designed by God to reflect His nature, His character to the creation, to others. And as a believer, as a follower of Christ... We are reflecting God. The question we have to ask ourselves every day is, is the picture of God that I'm reflecting to the world, is it an accurate one? None of us will do it perfectly. We will all have our faults and our failures. But it doesn't mean that we don't strive. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2? Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Yes, we're going to fall. Yes, you may have fallen big time this week. Guess what? There is grace for you today. Get up and keep running. Get up and keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Amen. That we would be able to swap out our programming of self-conscious living and that we would... Live God consciously. Jesus here is addressing matters of the heart, the why behind what we are doing. This message here in Matthew 6, it is is one of self-examination. Why do I do the things that I do? Why why do I practice my righteousness? Why why do I love others? Why do I serve others? Why why do I serve in ministry? Why why do I read my Bible? Why do I pray with my kids? Why do I pray with my wife? Why do I witness to others? Why do I do that? If it's to make a name for yourself, you need to repent of that self-conscious, self-glory seeking today and strive to do it Not for your sake, but for Christ's sake. Getting at the heart of what matters. That's number one. Beware of how you practice your righteousness. Number two, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be a hypocrite. Here he says uh, in verse two, thus when you give to the needy. And and here uh, Jesus in Matthew 6 is going to address our giving here. 
Next week, he's going to address our praying. And then finally, he's going to address fasting. So these three ways that he, he uh, applies practicing righteousness is in giving and praying and in fasting. And here he's talking about giving. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. you we've all heard the phrase, tooting your own horn. Comes from Jesus. Right here. Tooting your own horn. Don't, don't toot your own horn when you give to the needy. Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Don't be a hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite is not, hear this, a hypocrite is not someone who holds to high standards but falls short of those standards. That is not a hypocrite. So a hypocrite is not somebody who has a high standard. And, and don't we have a high standard? This is the highest of standards. This is the loftiest of standards. This is perfection, is the standard. And we have all fallen short, as the Apostle Paul says. So does that make us all hypocrites? Well, if it does, then how does, that, how does that fit with the fact that Jesus is telling us, who follow him, not to be hypocrites? When he knows that we will all fall short. So being a hypocrite is not someone who has a high standard, but falls short of that standard. That is not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who uses the high standard, who uses religion as a way of covering his own shortcomings. A hypocrite is one who uses religion to cover his own sins. To hide behind the high standard and to pretend that he is someone that he is not. A hypocrite is someone who doesn't admit when they fall short. Who puts on a mask to fool everyone into thinking that they are someone that they are not. That is what a hypocrite is. So it is not that we hold to a high standard and don't meet it, but it is that when we hold to a high standard that we do not meet, we don't pretend that we do, but we admit our faults and our shortcomings and our failures, which are many. James teaches us to do this. Confess your sins one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. We are to confess our faults, confess our failures, confess our sins to one another. Not to put on this mask of, of this perfect person. And in our day of social media, that's pretty much the way everybody lives, isn't it? To fool others into thinking that we're someone that we are not. That is what a hypocrite is. And in fact, the word hypocrite, it comes from an actor. Originally, the, the, the phrase meant an actor who puts on a mask and plays a role. Now, we understand that in the case of actors, that they're playing a role. We understand that. The problem is when in real life, you're playing a part that is not who you are. When you come into this place on Sunday morning 
And if you come in and your life's a mess and you're bound in sin and everything's falling apart and you come in and you dress all perfect and you make everybody in your family look all perfect to try and portray some version of reality that is false. Instead of getting help, seeking out an elder, a pastor, a deacon, getting in community group, pray for us. We need help. We are struggling. You see, the enemy wants to keep you isolated so that you won't receive the healing that Christ and his body can bring to you. Stop putting on a mask. We're only fooling ourselves. We've all fallen short. There's no perfect people except Christ. So the church should be a place where we can come in and share our faults and our failures and ask for prayer and get help so that through the power of the Spirit and the power of the church, working in community, we can help one another. We can do, as Paul says in Galatians, bearing one another's burdens. Don't be a hypocrite. Jesus says, don't live this way. Don't parade a false righteousness in front of people that's not true. Don't do it just to be seen by others and so that other people just think you're a wonderful person. Here Jesus describes somebody who goes to give an offering that's blowing a trumpet. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other. No, no, no. This is not the way Christ followers are called to live. This, this kind of living is so pervasive in our culture today. There's several terms that we use now. They didn't exist 50 years ago. But they exist today because people live this way. Have you ever heard of a humble brag? Have you ever heard this term, humble brag? A humble brag is a form of boasting that tries to appear modest while drawing people's attention to themselves and their accomplishments and their greatness. Here's, I'll give you some examples of humble brags. Once you see this, you're going to see this everywhere. You'll probably maybe even see yourself doing it. And if that's the case, repent of your humble bragging this morning. (laughs) Here's an example of a humble brag. I don't know why people like me so much. (laughs) No, no, I'm not even done. I'm not even done. I don't know why people like me so much. I'm not even that special. That's a humble brag. Here's another one. You'll, You'll see these everywhere. Uh, I can't believe I scored the highest on the test again. It's not a big deal. I hardly even studied. How about this one? Can you believe how many compliments I got on my outfit today? I don't even look that great. And then post like 50 pictures of yourself online. I'm so embarrassed about how many people compliment my artwork. I mean, I just whip something up in a few minutes and they act like it's a masterpiece. It's everywhere. Humble brag. Humble brag. Some of you know people that are professional humble braggers. 
everything they say is this humble brag. Maybe that's you this morning. That's a form of practicing your righteousness in front of others and parading it, putting it on display to be seen and praised by others. Jesus says, don't do that. Another version of this that is more insidious in our culture is virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is the act of publicly expressing a moral or virtuous stance with the intention of gaining approval, recognition, or validation from others. Publicly expressing a moral or virtuous stance with the intention of gaining approval, recognition, or validation from others. Some versions of virtue signaling today that we see, especially in social media, in our social media-dominated world. Something called slacktivism. Slacktivism. Not activism, but slacktivism. This is joining in online campaigns, signing online petitions, changing your profile picture temporarily to reflect support for a cause, but not taking any actions beyond these gestures. And thinking that in doing so, you've actually done something. That's, that's parading a sense of virtue, parading a sense of, sense of righteousness and putting it on display so that others can see you and say, oh, look, look, they support the current thing. You should just change your profile picture to, I support the current thing. Whatever it is this week, I support it. There's people that every week they're supporting the current thing. And they want you to know that they support it. That's parading your righteousness to be seen by others. Jesus says, you have your reward. There's this other thing where people, you know, there's all of these like um, ways to help people and give towards people that are in need. Uh, the, the online sites that, that help you to do that. Uh, when, when somebody, oftentimes like there, there'll be an unexpected death and they want, they, you know, the ask to help with funeral costs or, or an unexpected illness and raise money for a surgery or things like that. And so people will do things like they'll donate to that, which is great. Practice your righteousness. But then they'll go on social media and they say, hey, I just donated to this cause and I, I think it's very worthy and I think you ought to go do it too. You, you don't need to tell everybody that you did it. Yeah, share it. Yeah, help people get the word out. Don't parade your righteousness in front of everybody. It's just so common we don't even think about it. Oftentimes on those sites, when you give, you have the option of, of showing who, who gave and how much you gave. And so you get on there and you kind of scroll through. Okay, how much did they? Oh, how much did they get? Well, I'm going to beat that. I'm not going to let them outgive me. Am I the only horrible person in here today? Am I the only one that needs to come to communion table today? No, there's a button that says anonymous. That's what we ought to be pushing. <laughs> 
Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, Jesus says. I'm not saying don't give. What I am saying is don't do it to be seen by others. And if there's a way to do it and not be seen, do that instead. What about the hashtag pray for blank? Whenever there's some sort of tragedy, whenever there's some sort of calamity, there's this hashtag pray for. And every a hashtag is that, I don't even know what it's called, the hashtag, the, the thing, the symbol. If you hold shift and hit the number eight on your keyboard, it does the hashtag. And then you put the word behind it and it like, I don't know what, I don't know. It's just some stuff people do. Hashtag pray for whatever. Hashtag pray for Uvalde. Hashtag pray for Ukraine. Hashtag pray for fill in the blank. Whatever tragedy is going on. I have this sinking suspicion. Tell me if you have the same one. That a whole lot of people, a whole lot more people post hashtag pray for blank than actual people that pray for blank. I have the sinking suspicion that probably the vast majority of people that put hashtag pray for blank aren't even praying for blank. If we would actually pray. I'm not belittling prayer by any means. I think prayer is one of the most important and powerful things that we can do. And that there, when there is a tragedy, oh, that God's people would take to their knees and not their computers and cry out to God to move and to intervene instead of telling other people to do so so that they can parade their righteousness in front of everybody else. I'm not belittling prayer. I'm belittling the prayerless, prayerless hashtagging that we would pray. And that we would do so without parading our righteousness in front of others. Did you know this? I know this is going to be a shock to some of you. Did you know that you can read your Bible and pray without taking a picture of it and posting it online? Did you know that's possible? It's just, just putting that out there. Don't be a hypocrite, Jesus says. Number three, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But when you give to the needy, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And when your father sees in secret, he will reward you. What does this mean? How is this possible that my left hand can't know what my right hand is doing? Here's what I think Jesus is saying here. When you give, when you serve, when you do something, when you practice your righteousness, you don't keep in your mind a running tally of all the ways you've been righteous. You don't keep in your mind a record book of all of the ways that you've given, of all the ways that you've served, of all the ways that you've blessed, and that in keeping that book, you don't glory in your own virtue. And that you don't think yourself such a wonderful person because of what I did in secret. Did you know that you can then glory in that? 
That's how, that's how pernicious our sinful hearts are. That we can seek to obey this. That we can see someone in need and we can seek to meet that need. And we can meet that need anonymously. And then we can go away saying, wow, look at how awesome I am. I met that need and I obeyed Jesus and I did it anonymously. They don't even know. I'm such a good Christian. That's how sinful we are. We can glory in our own virtue. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He said, do things as you are moved by God and led by the Holy Spirit and then forget all about them. I think that's good advice. We should be led by God. We should be led by the Spirit. We should be moved with compassion by the needs of others. We should seek to meet those needs and if we can do so, do it anonymously, not letting anybody else know about it, not taking to social media, not putting it on YouTube not even glorying in it that we did it ourselves, but putting the glory on Jesus and saying, thank you, Jesus, that you gave me the ability. It's only because of you. It's only by your grace. And then we forget about it and move on with our lives. And And here's what Jesus says. He says, we don't have to keep accounts because God does. God keeps the account. He says, if you practice your righteousness in front of others, you've received your reward. You you got the the like on Twitter. You got the like on Instagram and Facebook. And everybody moves on and they've forgotten about it. And that is your reward. But when we really practice our righteousness, not in front of others, but for the glory of God, God keeps the accounts. And he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. God sees what you do. God keeps track. And the rewards that God gives outweigh any praise that we could ever hope to earn from man. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the end of the age and how Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats and he gives praise to one group and he condemns another group and he does so on the basis of the way that they practice their righteousness. And he says to the one group, there's a a treasure laid up for you in heaven because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And he says, on that day, they'll say to me, Lord, when did I see you naked and, whole, uh, and clothe you? When did I see you hungry and feed you? When, did I, when were you in prison and we visited you? And Jesus will tell them, he says, if you've done these to the least of these, you've done it unto me. That we seek as God's people to to lift people's burdens, to to serve, to to give, to to sacrifice, because that's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus is. That's the spirit that's alive on the inside of us. 
That we don't look down our noses on people because of their past. If anybody could do that, it could be Christ. To all of us. Yet he's done that for none of us. And we're called to live in that spirit. And to practice our righteousness in a way that blesses others and brings glory to God. And that there are rewards, eternal rewards and temporal rewards for those who live this way. There are rewards for living a righteous life, Jesus says. But if our only motivation for righteous living is to impress others, God will not reward that kind of self-serving righteousness. So what are these rewards that God gives for living a righteous life in the power of the Holy Spirit? I brought with you just a collection of verses from the Psalms and Proverbs. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm just going to read them to you in closing today. These are the rewards that the Bible says the righteous can expect to receive from the Lord. Psalm 37, 16 and 17. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Psalm 84.11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Psalm 37.25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. Proverbs 4.18, The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Proverbs 11.4, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 21.21, 21, Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And just in case you think I'm you know, dipping my toe into prosperity gospel, look here at Psalm 34.19. The righteous person may have many Troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I'm not saying that if you obey God's word and you seek to live a righteous life, that everything's going to be perfect all the time. We live in a fallen and broken world. Things don't go the way they're supposed to go. Sometimes there is calamity that strikes our house. The storms of life, they come. But those who build their life on the word of God and on a sure and solid foundation, when the storm is over, their house will still be standing. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I'm not promising you a trouble-free life. The word of God doesn't. Christ doesn't. 
Jesus himself says, in the world you will have many tribulations. But we take heart in the fact that Christ has overcome the world. Amen. So in conclusion today, let us die to ourselves. Let us die to our need for the applause and the adoration of others. Let us not pursue our own glory, but let us pursue righteousness, seeking to obey Christ our Savior. And let us live not for our own glory, but for the glory of God.